As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Justice. I couldn't believe that somebody would talk about killing their wife. Has a long memory. The defendant was in the midst of an affair with Kelly Labonte when he killed his wife, Julie. 25 years after Julie Jensen died of antifreeze poisoning, Mark was talking about how to get rid of the problem. Her husband's own words. She's asleep. She's going to be asleep for a long time. Helped a jury convict him for the second time. We, the jury, find a defendant, Mark D. Jensen, guilty of intentional homicide. This week on Open Record. The defendant stole Julie away from her children. How prosecutors made their case without Julie Jensen's letter from the grave. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined this week by Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Brian. And Fox 6's Bill Misson, one of the hardest-working people in television lately. Hi, Bill. Good morning. We are recording this episode on Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. A little more than three weeks ago, a Kenosha County jury heard opening statements in the homicide retrial of Mark Jensen on Wednesday That jury delivered a guilty verdict, just as a different jury did in a different county back in 2008. Bill, it's not often we talk about two different juries convicting the same person for the same crime 15 years apart. For those who've not been following the case like you have, I mean, no one's followed it like you have. You were there every single day driving back and forth to Kenosha. Give us a quick reminder. Get us up to speed. Why did prosecutors have to prove this case all over again? You know, I think I said it. The last time we spoke, but the long and short of it is, is that there were a number of questions about that piece of evidence, about this letter, even going into the first trial where it was allowed, it wasn't allowed, and then it was allowed. And then after the conviction, uh, the courts ruled essentially to boil it down that that piece of evidence shouldn't have been allowed in the first trial. And that Mark Jensen should get another trial. Uh, And so that is what set us up for the trial that began in early January and uh, ended uh, just yesterday. And and can you remind us, what did that letter that wasn't allowed in this time, what did that letter say? So there were a number of pieces of evidence that were used in the first trial, as well as in this trial, the same evidence, a lot of the same, if not uh, all of the same witnesses, just maybe not as many. Uh, But the one big piece of evidence that wasn't used was this letter that Julie Jensen had wrote a couple weeks before her death and had given to a neighbor. And it basically said, if anything happens to me, police should look first at my husband, Mark. Uh, And I believe that he would be the one who would be responsible. And so that was the letter from beyond the grave 
that was used in the first trial that wasn't allowed this time around. So not literally a letter from beyond the grave, but obviously the fact that it's discovered after she's dead, it's sort of like a message from her, hey, you should know who did this, it was my husband. And there is a lot of previous contact that she had with police uh, evidence. Uh, people had testified that she had spoken to them in the days or weeks before her death, that she suspected that her husband may be trying to poison her. Uh, and even speaking to her best friend, Mark Jensen's uh, sister, uh, and, and saying that she had feared that... Uh, he was capable of something like this. So that's a really big piece of evidence, maybe persuasive piece of evidence for a jury to not have that this time. I guess my, my, my sort of umbrella top level question is, how did they prove it again? How did they get another conviction without that piece of evidence? Well, there was a lot of evidence and arguably a lot of circumstantial evidence. Uh, there was no, people might say, a smoking gun as to... Mark Jensen being implicated in, in this. So there was a lot of evidence to use still, even without that, that letter. Um, and one of the things that was clear um, as sitting in the gallery and, and the state presenting its case, and you're, you're seeing evidence that was presented in the first trial being presented again, and you know just observing from the gallery and, and putting your, yourself in the shoes of the jury who's sitting there who should not know about this letter. That was a key thing is is that they shouldn't really know anything about this case, know about this letter specifically. And observing it, it was it was kind of clear. This is a very strong case, it seems, for the prosecutors of how they tied together, how they put a narrative together of what Julie Jensen was going through, not just in those several days before her death, the weeks before her death or even years before her death, but also what happened after her death and uh, how they uh, said that Mark Jensen is the one to blame, uh, that there was an affair that he was having uh, in the months before his wife died and that he ended up marrying that woman. She moved to Kenosha not long after um, Julie died and even was at the Jensen home a month after Julie died for uh, one of the Jensen's son's birthday parties uh, to which, you know, some uh, people testified that, you know, they testified she was there and that it was odd. She, she seemed like she knew the layout of the house. So that was the motive that prosecutors said was the reason for this. And they kind of laid everything out as to how uh, Mark Jensen did this. And ultimately, it's it's what the jury said. Yeah, that's that's how it happened. There was also some testimony that, you know, was a little bit more, I'd say, not so family friendly, you know, pornography, drawings and stuff like that. What was that part of the trial for? So, yes, there was a, a, a decent amount of uh, pornography that was shown as a part of this trial to the jury as a part of the state's case. And what the defense pointed to was this pornography was found on Mark Jensen's work computer um, years after Julie died. So this is a different work computer that Jensen had. It was uh, seized uh, when uh, at around the time, I believe, that he was arrested. And uh, they found uh, hundreds of pictures of pornography on his computer. And 
prosecutors used that information to tie it to testimony that was given by uh, Mark Jensen's ex-wife, the one that he married, the one who he was having an affair with, about uh, he had he would ask sordid details about her previous, you know, um, sexual history with different men, and uh, that there was an obsession with her uh, sexual partners in in her history, and that he would even take notes about this, something that she didn't know about. Um, and using that information, prosecutors then said, look, here is what we found. And this is a lot of the same stuff that was supposedly left around the Jensen home. There was a, a, a campaign of, of harassment, whether it's phone calls, uh, pornographic pictures being left around the Jensen home, supposedly at Mark Jensen's place of work. Um, and that this was being done over so many years and that this is this had started, this campaign of harassment had started not long after Julie Jensen herself had a brief fling, a brief affair um, back in the early 90s. And prosecutors said that Mark Jensen never forgave her for that affair and that this was, uh, you know, psychological torture um, and that this was here's here's some of the evidence to say look this is the guy who is behind it and even police a private investigator said we can't figure out who this is but the only people who know about your calls to us about all these pornographic pictures all these phone calls even emails that julie jensen started to write in a logbook the only person who knows about all of this is mark jensen and prosecutors showed evidence that would lead a, the jurors to uh uh, believe that it was Mark Jensen sending at, at this point some emails to himself, but spoofing the email address, email address that it was coming from, and directing the language in the email to Julie, saying, "Here's some pictures of 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 this woman that you know I'm having sex with, and you know this is for her." Uh, and and so that was some of the evidence and how prosecutors tied that together of these these uh you know the pornography that was found and and pointing the jury to say look it was mark jensen who was behind it all along here's some evidence that is very similar to what was described by police as what was being found around the jensen home you know for 15 days of testimony or whatever it was you know three weeks that you're watching this you're you're essentially watching and hearing the description the detailed description of an incredibly bad marriage, troubled marriage. I mean, you have obviously Julie had the affair in the early 90s. Then there's all of this psychological sort of torture going on. And then and then you have obviously the prosecution saying that Mark Jensen slowly poisons his wife w while having an affair. I mean, this is a, obviously a really messed up and troubled marriage. But it also, as you said, there's no, there's no fingerprints on a on a jug of antifreeze. There's no smoking gun evidence to say it was him. So there's all these arrows pointing at Mark Jensen and he's going, you don't you don't get it. She killed herself. And there were some arrows pointing at her as someone who had been suicidal because of all of this trouble. As, as you watch this, were there moments through all of that as you're just watching the sort of description of this horrific marriage and, and its awful end? Were there moments that stood out to you as sort of like key moments in this trial? 
I think the the biggest key moments for the jury was some of the computer evidence that was recovered from the Jensen's home computer. Uh, after that, the the Jensen's computer was seized after Julie died. Police had suspected Mark from the beginning because they had known about some of these things that Julie had been telling neighbors or even telling police. So going in, police wanted to do a full death investigation at the Jensen home. And this is early on, you know, when we spoke about it last time, that this is early on when people are starting to have computers in their homes for the first time. The Jensens were more well off, and it sounds like that they had uh, this may have been their second home computer. Uh, and this was the first time that the Pleasant Prairie Police Department had seized a computer as a part of an of a of an investigation back in 1998. Uh, and so there was a lot of unknowns, too, about police aren't weren't really read up into how do you analyze a computer back in 1998? Can't you just turn it on? We need to poke around. So the defense had tried to poke some holes into, well, the processes of reviewing the information on that computer weren't properly done because uh, police, the detective, was very anxious at wanting to get a look and seeing what was going on on that computer. Uh, but ultimately, a, a, a crime analyst was able to uh, retrieve deleted Internet history uh, from the Jensen's home computer in the, the day of Julie Jensen's death, the days before her death, and some of the weeks and months before her death, and tie that together with emails that were being sent to try and say, look, this is the person who was using the computer at this time. These are the, this is the person, Mark Jensen, who was sending emails at these times of day or night, early morning. And also, here's what a person is looking up on the internet at this time, and they deleted this information. Uh, poisons, toxins, the anarchist cookbook, um, pipe bombs to kill your wife, uh, toxic alcohols, ethylene glycol, which is the 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 main uh, ingredient in antifreeze, um, and so that is some of the the key information. I think sitting in the in the gallery of this is not. Um, I mean, this is this is really strong evidence for the state. And it, this seems like it's a very uh, big hill to overcome uh, for the defense. I guess that was, yeah, that was going to be my next question was, you know, aside from, you know, obviously they, the, the prosecution didn't have the letter um, in this trial. So they had, you know, like you said, some of that electronic evidence. Um, so then how did the defense have a strong case? I mean, did they did they present anything in a different way than, you know, all those years ago? Yeah, I, I mean... The, the attorneys that represented Mark Jensen are, are, are public defenders, uh, and Bridget Krause is the trial attorney for uh, the state public defender's office, Jeremy Perry. Uh, some people may recognize him as being the public defender that was appointed to Daryl Brooks before Daryl Brooks fired him. Uh, and uh, Mackenzie Renner uh, is out of the Walworth County uh, public defender's office. And so, you know, public defense, and even... You know, the special prosecutor in the case who was the one who tried it, uh, the, who was the district attorney who tried this case back in 2008, you know, he commended the public defenders and says, you know, the state of Wisconsin has the best public defender system in the country. 
Um, and they did a very good job with the evidence that they had and the case that they presented. And sitting in the gallery and watching the evidence that was presented by uh, Jensen's defense attorneys, they did a very good job of, you know, really trying to focus in on, is it possible that Julie Jensen killed herself and that it wasn't Mark Jensen, that she had a history of being diagnosed with depression, her actions and mannerisms and speaking with people, how she would speak with people, what she would say to people when they did, bringing in forensic psychiatrists, uh, toxicologists, uh, pathologists, and, and saying that she had a, at least for the forensic psychiatrist, she was depressed in the days before her death, and that, you know, people who die by suicide don't always do it in the way that many people think, that a letter is left, maybe not this letter, but that there's some sort of explanation. She wouldn't, you know, mothers, fathers, you know, die by suicide, even if they have, you know, kids at home and they care about them a lot, and that there is reason to doubt that Mark Jensen was the one who is responsible for her death. And that was the key to his case, right? Was essentially, yeah, we know she died by suicide. Or we, I'm sorry, we know she died by poison. The question is, did he do it or did she do it herself, right? That was really the key. Right. And, you know, there <clears throat> in opening statements, you know, it was being alluded to that it was a suicide plus frame up. Uh, and, and the defense really focused in on one area is that this was suicide, that this wasn't trying to frame Mark Jensen, but that this was suicide. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing is, as an observer of this is, I think at the end of the day, and, and we wanted to talk to the jury, but the jury did not want to talk to us after the verdict came down. One of the things that you have to, I, th I think you kind of look at is, at the end of the day, there's ethylene glycol found in Julie Jensen's body. How did it get there? And if she was in such bad shape over the course of two to three days and that there was testimony given by uh, multiple people, including the Jensen's eldest son at the time, that they were worried about her condition. Why didn't you take her to the doctor? Why didn't you take her to the hospital? Why didn't you call 911? Regardless of if there's an affair going on or the marriage is on the outs, why not contact someone who can help someone who is apparently in, in dire medical need? And, and I think that's one thing that stuck out and one thing that really wasn't explained uh, as to why no one got help for Julie Jensen. But also the defense pointed to, why didn't Julie Jensen help herself? She had multiple opportunities, multiple people willing to help her out, a neighbor willing to give give her and the kids his lake house cabin to go and stay some money to get her on her feet you know uh the the teacher of her of her child's third grade class offering to connect her with uh, a shelter in kenosha um even her own sister-in-law mark jensen's sister testifying that she told julie jensen come home with me stay with me we will figure it out Julie Jensen had access to the family finances. You know, the defense said that, you know, 
there was this effort to try and portray Julie as being this meek person who didn't know how to navigate things, that that wasn't the case, the defense said, that she knew she had the agency, she had the ability, she had the, the smarts to know what to do and how to do it. And there's a reason why she didn't do it and that she was creating space and creating a place for her to say goodbye to people, to um, set things up in a way that she just wanted to, she wanted to die and that it wasn't Mark Jensen. You know, you're talking about all of these things that were discussed that happened in the late 1990s. And I think about the fact that, you know, okay, 1998, it's easy to just say that's 25 years ago, but what does that really mean? And I was thinking 1998, what was going on? Number one, if you really want to think about this for our listeners in the, you know, Wisconsin area, the Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre won the Super Bowl in their 1998 season. Um, And it was, yeah, that's the early Favre era. We're now entering the end of the Rodgers era. Um, but you also mentioned the internet and how it was sort of in its infancy. I, I looked as you were talking, 1996, two years before Julie's death, is when America Online started charging 1995 a month for dial-up internet service. And two years later, um, you know, Julie Jensen it, it died. So that, that's, the, that's the era of, like, literally, America was just getting comfortable with the internet and this was going on. Netflix was just starting, and it was it, that was sending C- DVDs through the mail. It wasn't a streaming service, correct? There, you could their technology didn't allow streaming at that time. So obviously, a tremendous amount has changed. What what I wonder is because we're talking about it being so long ago, the Jensens had children. They're now grown. Were they? You've been there for this whole trial. Were they present? Were they a part of this? What, what, where are they on all of this now? Because talk about an event that altered their lives forever. Um, any insight into the Jensen children? Mark and Julie Jensen had two sons, uh, and the oldest son, uh, who was about uh, eight years old when his mom died, uh, David, he did testify. He testified as a part of the defense's case. Um, and, uh, you know he's in his 30s now he's he has a has a, a an amazing resume for what he's done over the years he has a phd uh and he works as uh at, at a uh, doing uh technical writings for uh, pharmaceutical companies um and uh you know he testified to what he remembered uh from that day and you know, I was not my age in 1998 is not far off from what his was. And so, you know, a lot of times throughout this trial, you know, having some sort of ability to put yourself in the shoes of the person of some of these people who are testifying because, you know, Mark and Julie Jensen are about the ages of what would be my parents. David Jensen is about the age of what I was at that time. And so, you know, trying to think back and recall things um, is hard for me, let alone someone who, you know, is a witness for your, you know, your father's defense uh, in the case. Um, You know, he did testify uh, to what he could remember, um, you know, and, uh, you know, he was the 
he and his aunt, uh, Mark Jensen's sister, uh, were the family members that did testify um, uh, for the defense. I mean, there's some other ancillary family members like Julie Jensen's uh, brother uh, did testify as well as uh, uh, Julie Jensen's former uh, sister-in-law on um, her brother's side. Uh, you know, so there were family members that were there. You know, one of the things that was interesting is is that early on in, in the jury selection, Mark Jensen's father and mother were there uh, for part of the jury selection. And then, uh, if I remember correctly, Mark Jensen's mother did come for a couple of the days of the first uh, parts of testimony for the, the state's case, uh, but were absent for the rest of the trial. And were not there for when the verdict came down again. And, and even though um, Julie's brothers were there for parts of the trial, including uh, uh, one of Julie's other brothers who didn't testify, but uh, did speak to us on Tuesday evening. Um, he wasn't there for the verdict when the verdict came down either. Um, and so uh, at least for Julie Jensen's brothers to, you know, how he felt about this, you know, it, it it's like the, you know, opening an old wound uh, for him. Uh, and did you get a sense though as to whether or not he and his siblings or, or do, do they believe their mother killed herself and that their dad is innocent or I mean that would be such a difficult spot to be in your, your dad is the only one of your parents who are still alive maybe you just want him to be free and in your life but do they believe I, I guess did you get a sense of that you know it's really hard to say um, it didn't seem and, and again, this is from the outside looking in. Um, we can read through court filings and explain things away. Um, you know, some people just don't want to talk about this stuff. So, you know, you, you, you let them and give them their space. Um, but it didn't seem that there was much of a connection just observing between, you know, David Jensen and his father in that courtroom. Uh, but it, I mean, for... A lot of his, you know, years after, you know, his 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 dad's been in jail since 2007 uh, and has been there since. And so, you know, David was raised, um, you know, without his his dad in his life for, you know, being there uh, because he, he, he was in, in jail or, or in prison. So I, I really don't want to read too much into it because I, I just it's it's something that. You know, you could sit there and, and hypothesize about one thing we know for sure they've been through, obviously, uh, a hell we would never want to go through. That's for sure. So the jury took, you know, about six hours to deliberate and come back with the guilty verdict. Um, once that was read in court, the prosecution, they were ready to have sentencing, but the judge said no. So what's next? When is sentencing? What can we kind of expect um, when that happens? The the prosecutors just wanted to get it done and over with, but because of laws that have changed over the years and also, you know, there needs to be a, a pre-sentence investigation, which is normal as a part of any type of, of sentencing in uh, court cases in, in Wisconsin. He set it out uh, for 60 days. Uh, and so this is just normal. Uh, and so sentencing for Mark Jensen is going to be in April uh, April 14th. 
And because this is where it kind of gets interesting, too, is Mark Jensen has to be sentenced according to the laws that were on the books back when the crime was committed. So it's not an automatic life sentence or anything like that because this was Correct. 1998. It was 1998. And so uh, even though the, you know, the judge uh, denied going immediately to sentencing, what uh, Special Prosecutor Robert Jamboy said he intends to do is to request that the court sentence Mark Jensen's Mark Jensen to the same sentence that was given to him uh, by Judge Bruce Schrader back in 2008, which is life in prison without the possibility of parole. Uh, and so after the verdict came down, you know, Jensen's bond was revoked, even though he was still being held in jail or in prison uh, because they couldn't come up with the money to uh, get him out of jail uh, pending trial. Uh, and so and then he was remanded into custody where he's been since 2007. So, you know, I mean, it's been 25 years since the crime, 15 years since the last sentence. What's another couple of months till sentencing, right? But Bill, I want to wrap this up before we go to author record with this. As we were talking, um, you, you had to take a break and go get some coffee and you came back with an entire pot of coffee. And, and it, it struck me that you've been for the last three weeks driving. I mean, you know, Kenosha County Courthouse is not down the street. It's a hall. Uh, so you've been driving to Kenosha and coming back every single day, plus all day in court, and you've been doing it for three plus solid weeks. Have you been able to get a pot of coffee? You said you drink a pot a day. I, have you been able to drink your coffee with all of that driving around? Yes, I uh, I drink a lot of coffee normally. Um, and so for the last month, I've been making about 12 cups of coffee, having a couple cups in the morning. Uh, and then putting the rest in a thermos and bringing that with me. So in between breaks of, of court, thankfully, you know, the judge was lenient on allowing us media members to have, you know, water and things just like other people in the courtroom as, as we would sit there for hours upon hours. Uh, and so, um, you know, during breaks, I would uh, go and fill up my cup of coffee and, and I, I would drink every every drop of, of coffee for the last month. I, I'm getting uh, I'm getting heart palpitations. I love my coffee, but just thinking too, 12 too, cups, 12 I feel like cups. I would, my, I, my eye is twitching as I think about that. I know, right? You're just supposed to drink through that, drink through. <laughs> just power just through. Power through it. Through that wall. It goes away, I think. Well, Bill, <laughs> I, I know this was a big uh, commitment on your part and, and on the station's part to cover this day after day uh, thoroughly, but, uh, uh, you know, great work on, on coverage of this. Thank you for coming on Open record for the second time this month to, to share the details of a pretty remarkable trial. You're very welcome. And it's time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And of course, here to ask us that question is executive producer Sarah Smith. What do you have in store, store today? And, and tell me, it, 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 the question is not how many cups of coffee do you drink a day? Because we already know. We already know Bill's answer. It's not that question. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Throwing that one away. No, today's question is, now I have to uncrinkle the paper because I just crinkled it up. Um, what is something annoying that people text? Like you get a text that says this and you're like, oh, my God. I don't know if it's annoying, but it's one that I've just I, I'm sure it's just me being an old man. And then there's the sort of text lingo. But I've never understood KK. 
<laughs> Why not just OK or K? Why no, KK? K's bad too. KK's worse. But, but at but least K, K is bad. Expresses. I just don't understand what the second K is for. Are you saying OK, OK? I, I don't understand KK. Unless you're in Milwaukee and you're trying to give someone directions to where the place is and it's on Kinnikinnick, then it makes sense. That's fine. Otherwise, I don't understand. I That's don't, mine. Yeah, I get a little ragey. That's true. I also, and I'm guilty of this one, but uh, when someone's like, call me, <laughs> like, no, just text. But I do that because I guess, you know, for work purposes, I do it mo- mostly because I know reporters and anchors and other people are busy. I don't want to just call assuming that, you know, they can, they have time to talk. Um, you know, but I always just say, call me when you have a sec. And I'm sure they're like, what now, Sarah? But, um, I guess that might come off as annoying. Bill, what you got? Uh, I would have to say I can be very sporadic in responding to text messages. So I don't know if it's what people text me, but I'm sure I annoy a lot of people. With the length of time. (laughs) Ownership. I like this. He's taking ownership. Okay. And I will, I don't like having unread messages so i will read them so i get the notification off but then i just won't respond (laughs) and then it gets buried and yeah okay i know how that works. yeah and and i i feel like this is i think this is sometimes a journalist problem too where it's like you when i had a desk phone and like there's a bunch of voicemails and a lot of times the voicemail system is cumbersome to even get into and you're like i'm just not going to i i'm gonna let the if if it's important enough, <laughs> they'll call back. Yeah. Or I'll or I'll or I'll make a note to get back to them, and then you just get so involved with everything else of the of your of your day. And and um, I know there's a lot of people that are still probably waiting on phone calls back. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad, Sarah, that his answer wasn't the thing that annoys me most is when the host of Open Record texts me early in the morning, the first time I get to sleep in in yes. three weeks. And says, are you coming on the podcast this morning? <laughs> are you doing it? Are you doing it? Kicks the chair, kicks the chair. I was I was up. I was up-ish. Ish. Yeah. I hadn't had the first cup, first of 12 Just cups of coffee still, yet. I was still horizontal. Just pour another cup of coffee. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The coffee wasn't made yet. I, I, yeah, so I still had to make it. So thank you for texting me because that got me going. I, I ended up <laughs> making coffee. So here we are on cup number three. Well, the news must go on, so um, the, 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 the trial is over other than sentencing, and now it's on to other things. Bill, thank you so much for being on the podcast this week and, and for, for sharing the details of, uh, of what happened there in Kenosha with the Jensen trial. Uh, we appreciate your time. Very welcome. Thank you again. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Sarah, thanks as always. Of course. And thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, including our editor, Dave Machuda, who has to sit and listen to every word of these things and edit out the, mis- edit out the mistakes we make. So thanks, Dave, for all of your time. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you do your podcast listening. I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. <laughs>